That was fun. Thank you. And uh, wouldn't that be fun uh, to see the kingdom of God built all around us uh, and uh, a revival to take place uh, in this land? It would be good. And um, we are uh, in the midst of a series and getting closer to the end of a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. We uh, believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and there are parts in God's word that maybe on our own we don't often go back to and maybe Ecclesiastes is one of those. But hopefully as we've spent time in it over these last few weeks, it's been something that maybe your eyes have been open to. The Holy Spirit's been doing a work maybe in your heart as you start to see um, how a life under the sun, that's the phrase that the author of Ecclesiastes uses many times, does many times seem really confusing, um, really tough, really challenging, really difficult, but it also in many ways points us ahead to the Messiah that was yet to come at the point when this book was written. And so uh, it's been good for me to be going through it and hopefully for you as well. You'll notice in your bulletin there's an outline there um, that can maybe help you as we go through the message this morning. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The title of the sermon is Living in an Unfair World. Living in an Unfair World. When I was younger for a little while, my family had cable TV. Not all the time, but for a while we did. And so we tried to soak up as much TV as we could during that time when we had cable TV. And there was a show, and maybe you remember it, it didn't run long. There was a show on Nickelodeon called Kids Court. Anybody remember the show called Kids Court on Nickelodeon? Only ran for like one year on purpose. It wasn't very good. Um, but the way it worked was this. Someone would mail in, this was in like 1988, someone would mail in a, a case, some grievance that they had, a kid usually would, would send a letter in, and then they would have two kids. Uh, one would represent one side and one would represent the other side, and they'd make their arguments, and, uh, and then after the argument was made, the kids in the audience, it was all kids in the audience, would cheer and whichever argument they thought was the best they would cheer louder for and a little device that measured decibels called the judgeometer uh, would measure the decibels and we determine which one seemed to be more right based on the kids cheering and then at the end of the show the host would always ask the kids so whatever the case was he'd tell them what the ruling was he say so this is what happened and then he would ask he would say this Fair or unfair? And almost every time, all the kids in the audience in unison would shout, unfair, right? Because how many times do we do that as kids? As kids, you, you probably can remember times where either you yourself or your own children have looked at things around us, looked at life, and determined from our judgment, from our vantage point, that's unfair. And if somebody were to ask you, fair or unfair, there's a lot of things about which you could yell, unfair. That just doesn't seem fair. And the author of Ecclesiastes is not at all. There's a picture of kids' court, by the way. Um, that's what it looked like a little bit. Um, the author of Ecclesiastes is not at all going to shy away from dealing with the hard stuff of life. We've noticed that as we've gone through this book. And the fact that we live in an unfair world is something that he's going to deal with. And we really see that especially now in chapter 8. We've already seen a little bit of that come up. But the reality is that we live in a world where more even than the cases that kids' court heard on Nickelodeon, there is a lot of unfairness and injustice in our world from our perspective. Excuse me, from our perspective. 
And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. The big idea for today is actually a question um, rather than a statement, and that is this. How are we supposed to live under authority in an unfair world? He's going to talk a lot about authority in the first few verses, so that's why that's a part of the topic as well today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open it right up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to go through the whole chapter today. It's not a very long one. And uh, let's go ahead and stand if you're able to as we read God's Word. Let's pray first. Father, You, you are worthy to be worshipped why when Jesus taught disciples a, a, a way in which they could pray, a model by which they could model their own prayers, he taught them to say, hallowed be your name. Right after that, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our desire, Father, that your kingdom would come here. We know that part of the way in which you plan to do that is you plan to use your church your Holy Spirit who dwells within each of us, that we, as we seek to use the gifts that you've given to us, make an impact on this world that you've created. God, we recognize, though, as we live in it, there's a lot that's just confusing. There's a lot that seems unfair. And so, God, I thank you that there's the book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes that doesn't shy away from those realities. But I thank you that there's other books as well. And so I pray that as I read this portion of your word now this morning, and as we look at other spots in your word during the message, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts, causing us to long for Jesus and his rule and reign, not only over all the earth, but even over our own hearts. Help us to be submissive to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. This is the word of God. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because... He does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. But there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat 
and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You can be seated. See the points there in your bulletin and will be on the screen as well. First one is this, looking in the first nine verses, saw really the theme being living wisely under authority. How do we do that? How do we live wisely under authority? It starts out with verse 1. Verse 1 is different than the rest of the chapter. You might have even noticed in your Bible that this one is centered and all the rest of the verses are out here. This one is poetry. This one verse, the rest of the chapter is not. Uh, and so it's a little bit different, and it's hard to tell exactly how it fits in, because you might remember that at the end of last week, we got to the end of chapter 7, and and he was kind of just throwing his hands up in frustration, saying, I don't get it, I don't get anything, except for the fact that everybody's messed up. That's about the only thing that I get, and I'm frustrated about it. Even if you're really wise, which I am, he says, I still don't get it. Right, So that's kind of where we ended last week. So then verse 1 of chapter 8 with this kind of transition verse, some read it and say, well, it sounds like he's being sarcastic. Where he says something like a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face has changed. When he just got done saying that wisdom doesn't really help out at all. Now he's saying, oh, it just makes everything change. Everything's great now. It's almost like he's being sarcastic. We don't know for sure. It's hard to tell when you're just reading a written text. But the rest of these verses are a lot more clear. In verses 2 through 4, we see that it's generally a good idea to obey authority. Okay, Proverbs are a type of literature that are giving general wisdom. In most cases, this is stuff that's good to know. And that is this. It is generally wise to submit to authority. He says things like, I say, keep the king's command. He says... Um, for the word of the king is supreme, and who's going to say to him, what are you doing? So don't question authority. Don't stand up against authority. Rather, generally, it goes well for us when we submit to authority, right? We can say, yeah, I get that, that generally it does seem most wise most of the time to submit to authority. Verses 5 and 6 then say this, whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, right? Whoever keeps the, uh, the king's command, he's still talking about the king, will know no evil thing. Just generally saying, typically if you want things to go well, if you don't want evil stuff to happen in your life, obey those in authority, right? Paul really picks up on that idea in Romans chapter 13 when he says this, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good. And you will see, receive his approval, right? That's just basic kind of general knowledge, general wisdom that we have from living life under the sun that generally, if you want to not be punished by those in authority, then do what those in authority say. Again, generally, okay? Because, I say generally because he's going to qualify that a little bit when he gets down. Now, verses 7 and 8, he talks about a theme that we've talked about over and over again verses 6 through 8, actually, and that is there's a lot of stuff we don't know, okay? A lot of stuff we don't know. 
But then he gets to verse 9. Listen to this. Here's what he says in verse 9. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. That generally it is wise for us when there is an authority over us to submit ourselves to that authority. But in life, under the sun, on this earth, in this fallen sinful world, is it the case that sometimes man has authority over other man to his hurt? That there are people in positions of authority who use their positions of authority to hurt and abuse those who are under their authority. Is that reality? Of course it is. And that's what the author of Ecclesiastes sees here, right? He, he recognizes that. He admits it. And just like abusive authority was there in his day, it's still rampant 3,000 years later, right? That we see the abuse of authority taking place in homes. We see the abuse of authority taking place in cities, on college campuses, in the military, in abortion clinics, right? Those kinds of places where those who have power and authority and license to do what they feel they ought to do sometimes use that authority to hurt others. Authority is given to people by God for our good. Authority is not a bad idea. God gives people authority for a purpose. Parents, coaches, officers, politicians, doctors. But in this fallen world, as we live life under the sun, sometimes people have authority and use that authority to harm others unjustly. That's the world that we live in. And so maybe you saw this this week. Uh, maybe you saw uh, a letter this week. I, by the way, I went to a, I went to a doctor this week. Um, oh, hold on, I'll get to that picture in a second. Everybody's wondering what that's about. I'll get there in a second. I went to a doctor this week. I'm grateful for doctors. Um, I don't know a lot of stuff uh, medically, and so I'm grateful that we live, especially in a country where we have access to great medical treatment. Right. So I'm going to be going uh, uh, on a trip to South Asia, and it's an area where you can pretty much catch anything that you can catch by all sorts of different means. And so went to this travel clinic down in Ames, and, and I got a couple of shots in my arm, got a bunch of pills and stuff to take, and a whole bunch of advice, stuff that I wouldn't have thought about, stuff I don't have access to. But a doctor who I trusted because he's worked with a lot of people there told me some really good news about here's some things that you can do to protect yourself as you go to that place. I'm grateful that that doctor was given that level of training and knowledge and authority to tell me some medical advice for my good. I'm grateful that there are people like that in positions of authority. But sometimes, sometimes doctors use their knowledge and authority not to help others, to pr but to promote harm, even death. And maybe this is, this is the picture I'm going to show you now. Some doctors use their knowledge and experience and authority to put an end to the life of unborn babies in their mother's womb. That happens in our country, and that's legal. Our government has given doctors authority to take lives um, from little people with beating hearts living inside their mother's womb. And some doctors would always, if, even if they're not involved in that themselves, they would advise families who find out that they're going to have a child with special needs to do something so that that child is not born. Right? That's, that's the nation that we live in, and it's wrong. And so there was this mom who received advice from her doctor when they found out that their child would be born with Down syndrome. She found out that her doctor let her know that his best medical advice is that they seek an abortion. 
this, this mother, uh, with the help of her little daughter, who she decided uh, to give birth to, delivered a letter in the mail. And there's a picture of her daughter delivering the letter in the mail. They're over on the, on the right side, I think. Of, yeah, the right um, for you guys. And here's the letter that that mom wrote to her doctor, somebody in authority who told her what he thought would be best. She said this, Dear Doctor, A friend recently told me of when her prenatal specialist would see her child during her sonogram. He would comment, he's perfect. Once her son was born with Down syndrome, she visited that same doctor and he looked at her little boy and said, I told you, he's perfect. Her story tore me apart. While I was so grateful for my friend's experience, it filled me with such sorrow because of what I should have had. I wish you would have been that doctor. I came to you during the most difficult time in my life. I was terrified, anxious, and in complete despair. I didn't know the truth yet about my baby, and that's what I desperately needed from you. But instead of support and encouragement, you suggested we terminate our child. I told you her name, and you asked us again if we understood how low our quality of life would be with a child with Down syndrome. You suggested we reconsider our decision to continue the pregnancy, and from that first visit we dreaded our appointment. The most difficult in my li- time in my life was made nearly unbearable because you never told me the truth. My child was perfect. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I'm really just sad. I'm sad that the tiny beating hearts that you see every day don't fill you with a perpetual awe. I'm sad that the intricate details and the miracle of those sweet little fingers and toes, lungs and eyes and ears don't always give you pause. I'm sad that you were so very wrong to say that a baby with Down syndrome would decrease our quality of life. And I'm heartbroken that you might have said that to a mommy even today. But I'm mostly sad that you'll never have the privilege of knowing my daughter, Emerson. Because you see, Emerson has not only added to our quality of life, she's touched the hearts of thousands. She's given us a purpose and a joy that's impossible to express. She's given us bigger smiles, more laughter, and sweeter kisses than we've ever known. She's opened our eyes to true beauty and pure love. So my prayer is that no other mommy will have to go through what I did. My prayer is that you too will now see true beauty and pure love with every sonogram. And my prayer is that when you see the next baby with Down syndrome lovingly tucked in her mother's womb, you will look at that mommy and see me and tell her the truth. Your child is perfect. It's not always wise to submit to authority. Even those with much knowledge, even those given much authority, it's not always wise for us to submit to them. We live in a world that's unfair. We live in a world that's unfair. We see that over and over again, don't we? And again, that does not mean at all that God's plan of having authority established is a bad plan. God's plan To have people in authority is a good plan. The reality is, though, that life under the sun, there are abusive husbands and abusive parents. There are those who are leaders in churches who misuse their authority. There are those who are leaders in their workplace who are bosses who misuse their authority. There are leaders of nations who take the authority that God has given them and misuse it to the harm of those that they're called to care for. God calls us to submit to the authority that He has put in place, but in cases where that authority promotes evil, 
calling us to either participate in it or is even harming those that are under their authority, we must stand up to it, recognize it as dangerous, and resist it. Authority is necessary. But authority in life here under the sun gets messed up a lot of times. We need to seek God's grace into how to figure out how to live wisely under authority. He goes on with the following verses. I'm not going to spend as much time on each of them. The main theme is really there in those first nine verses. We've seen this one over and over again in life and in Ecclesiastes, right? That bad people seem to get away with stuff. And that's frustrating. It seems unfair. Verses 10 to 15 really talk about that. Wicked people get praised in verse 10. Delayed and unjust sentencing leads to more and more evil in verse 11. Right? We get to verses 12 and 14. We find that sinners do evil a hundred times and somehow seem to get rewarded for it. It's vanity. He says that three times in these verses. And then at the end of verse 12 and into verse 13, we see this theme come up again. Here's what he says. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Let's turn my page. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. He also talks about this call that we have to fear before God. Right? He says it will be well with those who fear God. That somehow, even in the midst of what seems so unfair and so unjust sometimes, that somehow what we're called to do in the midst of all that is to be people who fear God. We've seen that theme and talked about it before. He also brings up the theme that he's talked about before, that it's good for us to just enjoy the normal things of life, to eat and drink and be joyful as we fear God. And so it's a point that we've made before. I think I did a whole sermon on it when it was a bigger theme earlier, and that is this. Fear God and enjoy life. It's part of how we live in the midst of this unjust, unfair world. Fear God and enjoy life. And then his conclusion is much like the conclusion of last week in verse in, in chapter 7. This week in chapter 8, kind of gets done. He's like, I, I can't figure it out. Right? I can't figure it out. Trying to figure it out and I can't figure it out. Here's what he says. Man cannot find out. He will not find it out. He cannot find it out. You see that showing up again and again in those last two verses? He's trying to understand no matter how wise he is, no matter how hard he tries to understand, he just doesn't get it. Some stuff seems unfair. Doesn't make, can't make sense of it all the time. And again, we get the sense as we go through Ecclesiastes that he's really frustrated about this. He doesn't like that he can't understand everything. He's a very wise man, but he's trying to determine why stuff is the way it is. He doesn't always get it, and he's frustrated. Why would God, he fears God, right, so we know that, but, but he must wonder all the time, why does God do things the way he's doing things? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so his response is vanity. It's all vanity. It's meaningless. It's empty. What's the point? Now, we could have a different response. Last week we looked at one of Paul's responses. I, I personally get this response as I look at stuff all around me. I don't know what to do with it. I can't make sense of everything. I don't have an answer for all things. I'm not very wise all the time. I don't get it. Just like he doesn't get it. Listen to what Paul says at the end of Romans 11. You've heard me read this before at the end of a worship service. Paul says this, Oh, 
the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Paul's, Paul's crying out. He doesn't get it either. He's like, I don't get it. How, how, how unsearchable are His judgments? I don't get why God does what He does all the time. I don't get it. But his response was to say, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Not questioning God, but saying, uh, he must have a depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge that far exceeds my own. Because I can't make sense of this, but I know that he's sovereign over all of it. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever is how that passage ends. Right? So, some might get frustrated. Others might be led to worship. And so we hopefully are the kind of people that are led to worship. In our closing song in a little bit, we're going to sing these words. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on the throne. Come, let us adore him. That's how we respond to that. That we look at the unfair world, but... But there's something in us wants to do more than that. Like, okay, I get it. It doesn't all make sense. God's sovereign over all of it, so I should worship Him. I get that, but I still I want to do something. When there is injustice done to me or to people I love, what can I do about it? I want to respond. And a lot of times, our sinful hearts want to respond in sinful ways. Right? That somebody hurts us or somebody we love, we want to lash out at them with our tongue. We want to hold bitter thoughts in our hearts, unforgiveness in our hearts. And there is this natural, sinful tendency that we have to respond to evil with evil. They're being unfair, so I'm going to let them know what I think. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, right? But that's our natural response. But I was looking this week at Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to end this morning. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Last point here is this. God's authority is good, and He will bring justice. Because here's the reality. We live in an unfair world, don't we? The world we live in is unfair. It's reality, and authority is abused. And our great hope is not that the right president gets elected next. Right? That's not where we put our hope. Our great hope is not that any human court, whether it be the Supreme Court of the United States or kids' court on Nickelodeon, we don't put any of our hope in a human court to always get justice right. Even our justice system is oftentimes unjust, right? So we don't depend, we don't put our hope in any earthly authority ultimately. We put our hope in God's authority, which is always good, knowing that He will bring justice, right? And so we battle against that response that lies in our hearts that we would desire to respond to people with bitter, hurtful words, with, with withholding a grudge because they've hurt us. We, we, we respond to that in this way. Romans chapter 12. Paul is going to, by the way, if you go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Romans chapter 12. In chapter 13, Paul is going to, right at the beginning, talk to them about how they ought to submit themselves to authority because God has established it, right? So he talks to them about that. But right before he talks about that, here's what he says at the end of chapter 12. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Here's what it says. Repay 
no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God's authority is good, and He will bring justice. Sometimes we, we have this tendency to try and take things into our own hands. It seems like it's unfair and God's not doing anything about it, so I'm going to do something about it. Right? Where this passage reminds us that God's authority is good and He will bring justice. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. It's good for us to hear. And then that reminds me, and I'll close with this, of some really, really good news to hear. The really, really good news is that we who have lived in natural rebellion against God, breaking His law, seeking to be our own authority, that's what we really love. We love to be our own king. That's our ultimate offense is that we don't submit to Jesus as king. We want to be our own king. We want to do things the way we want to do things. We want to think the way we want to think. We want to say what we want to say. That's us naturally, right? And that's really bad news because God is the judge, and he is just, and he is righteous and holy. And we have offended him by rejecting his authority and sitting on our own throne being our own authority. And that's bad news for us, but the good news is this. That the sovereign judge against whom we have rebelled. Did you hear that? The sovereign judge against whom we have rebelled sent his own son to take our punishment. Right? That's what he came to do. Bearing our sins in his body so that God could remain just by punishing sin in his son rather than in us. Sparing guilty sinners like you and I who are born again through faith in Christ. That's good news. I'm thankful that God isn't always and only just fair. Because if He was fair, I would not be standing here. And I would be looking forward to an eternal life of punishment in hell. It's only because we have a God who is merciful and just enough to send His own Son for our sins so that we could have life forever with Him. Spending our days here on earth, maybe not making sense of everything we see around us, but at least looking at our God and saying, I know that He's good. I fear Him. I want to spend my days worshiping Him, not only now, but throughout all of eternity. So we put our faith in Jesus. He's where our hope is. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we do have hope. I don't know. Again, there's so many situations in life that I look at, and I, I have no idea... Where people who don't trust in Jesus, people who don't trust that you alone are God, where they turn to when they look at the world around them and see the injustice and the unfairness. We want to, in whatever way we can, be submissive to the authorities that you've put over us, while also being wise. That's really hard to do, to know how to do that. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Pray that you'd help us to be submissive to the authority that you've established over us, whether that's 
in our nation, whether that's in our church, whether that's in our homes. Authority is a good plan, but we're the ones that mess it up over and over again. We're desperately in need of your authority over our lives. I pray that we would be the kind of people that would willingly and humbly submit ourselves to you day in and day out. Not trusting ourselves, but trusting only in you. Not hoping in anything on this earth, but hoping only and primarily at least in you. We need your help with that. We know that's going to come as we stand regularly in awe of you. So help us to do that even as we sing a closing song and then all throughout the week that we would more often be in awe of what you've made. That, that things actually aren't as bad as they could be. It's only by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.